Mark chapter number 6 and Mark 8 is where we'll be starting in a few moments today. So if you would, find both those passages. They're fairly close together, so you may not need to find them immediately, but we'll be reading from them both very quickly. Well, we've made it one week closer to the day we've set aside as Thanksgiving. It's nearly upon us, just about 11 days away. And as we are thinking already about Thanksgiving, we spoke last Sunday about the reality that our human nature tends to fail to be thankful or express thankfulness. Though we do, God's Word encourages us to be thankful and express real, sincere, authentic thankfulness. We saw how Jesus exemplified this in prayers. He stood before the tomb of Lazarus in John eleven forty one through 44. Today, we'll continue looking to Jesus, who expresses thankfulness not only in prayers we saw, but Jesus expresses thankfulness for provision. We see in Jesus' ministry examples of Jesus expressing thankfulness to the Father for provision because he recognized all provision is the gift and the blessing of the Father. I wonder if we recognize that today. Do we recognize that all provision comes from a gracious and good Father? It's all from Him. Following the example that Jesus set in recognizing provision as the gift and blessing of the Father, we should lift up our voices to declare thanks to Him. For what he's given. A speech that was given about the subject of thankfulness said in part, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated by this unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. And you'd think that that was a sermon preached by one of the great preachers of yesteryear, but that was a speech given by the 16th president of these United States. 
Abraham Lincoln. You can't imagine one of our presidents giving a speech like that now, can you? You might be hard-pressed to find a preacher who would preach that way now. But in that speech, Abraham Lincoln reveals our tendency. 160 years ago, a president was saying, we've forgotten God. How much more is that true today? We forget the gracious hand that provides us with all the good we have and consequently neglect to give him thanks for it as he deserves. So today, let's look at Jesus' example. Through several passages, we are provided the substance of the message that connects to one another through this theme of thankfulness for provision. Jesus exemplified thanks for provision as the gift and blessing of the Father. And as we recognize it today, we should declare thanks to him. So let's answer this question. What provision do I owe thankfulness to God for? Let's start right here with number one. Give thanks for the provision of daily needs. Look with me at Mark chapter 6, verse 41. This verse comes within the context of the feeding of the 5,000 that we studied several weeks ago. The Bible declares in Mark 6, 41, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven. Read the next two words aloud with me, would you? And blessed. And break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among all. Now Mark chapter 8, if you would. And look at verse 6. This is within the context of the feeding of the 4,000 that we have also studied recently. And notice in Mark chapter 8, verse 6. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. Next three words. Read them aloud with me, would you? And gave thanks. And break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. In one passage, within the context of the feeding of the 5,000 men, plus women and children, the Bible used that word blessed, which demonstrates Jesus' thankfulness for provision. Here in this context, the feeding of the 4,000 people gave thanks gives that demonstration. Blessed is translated from the original word eulageo, and it means to speak well of. That is to bless, to thank, or invoke a benediction upon, or prosper. Most likely due to the context, remember the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children was a Jewish audience, most likely, then, in that place, Jesus would have used the traditional Jewish blessing on food. And that traditional blessing said, Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread come forth from the earth 
and who provides for all that you have created. Whether he said those exact words or not, Jesus gave a blessing not to the food, but to God who gave the food. And then in Mark 8, gave thanks translates a different word. The change of language demonstrates the difference audience. Mark 6 is a Jewish audience. Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000 people, is a Gentile audience. Here, Jesus, the, the Bible uses the word Eucharisto to speak about what Jesus did, and it means to be grateful, to express gratitude, specifically to say grace at a meal. In both instances, Jesus did the same thing, even though different words are used. He thanked the Father for the provision of daily need, for providing what was needed at that moment. Through Jesus exemplifying, recognizing provision as the gift of the Father, and giving thanks, we get these, these applications. Number one is this. Bless the giver, not the gift. So often when we take, talk about even giving thanks at a meal, we, we might say something like this, well, let's bless the food. Let's say the blessing over the food. And though we, we may not intend to, to do this, really it's missing the point. The food is a blessing, it doesn't need to be blessed. It already has been, and it is a blessing to us from God. When we give thanks, we're not blessing the food. We're blessing God who gave us the food. We're giving thanks to Him. Application number two. Trust the goodness of God, the giver, in what He gives, and what he does not give. I want you to see this. James 1, it's a verse we, we mention rather frequently. We're familiar. James 1, 17 and 18. And notice what the apostle writes here. James 1, 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creature. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from one source. And what is that one source? God. And I think we would all admit that we recognize that. If it's something good in our lives, it's come from God. If it's something that is truly good to us and for us, it's come from His gracious hand. And friends, we need to recognize the giver and give thanks to the giver and trust the goodness of the giver in what He gives. When God gives you Something It is good. But let's take it a step further and let's trust the goodness of God in what he does not give. Because if you and I were honest with one another today, yes, we would say we understand that if we have anything good, it comes from God. 
but we tend to be more likely to complain than give thanks, right? That's just a reality of our human nature, to complain more than we give thanks. What is complaint often tied to? Discontentment? What we don't have? What we've not been given? Do you ever go before God questioning God about why he hasn't given you something that you really think you should have? God, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you given me this? Why why haven't you blessed me with this? Can we take a step back and recognize that the same giver who gives us everything good that we have is the same giver who withholds things from us out of the goodness that is a part of who he is. So friends, if there's something that you think you should have that God has not given you, can we trust his goodness? He's been good in giving us all the good things that we have. Friends, he's just as good to withhold from us things that we shouldn't have. Thirdly, petition the giver for your needs. We read earlier Jesus' model prayer that we're so familiar with. Doesn't Jesus teach us to do just that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 again. The disciples have come to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And as Jesus is teaching them to pray, he says very clearly as part of that model prayer, what? Give us this day our daily bread. Trust the giver, the goodness of the giver and what he gives and does not give. And then, friends, if there's something that you truly believe in your heart that you need, learn to petition the giver for that need. Ask him for it. All of these, blessing the giver, not the gift, trusting the goodness of the giver, petitioning the giver for our needs, orient our focus to the giver who is good, perfect, all-knowing, wise, and powerful. Think about this. When you petition the giver for your needs, you're recognizing your complete dependence on God for everything. This is well illustrated by the children of Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness. They had some needs over the course of 40 years, didn't they? I mean, it was a desert, barren place. And they had some needs as those countless number of people traveled and wandered through the wilderness. And so God began to provide for them through manna. Every day, double amount on the sixth day for the sake of the Sabbath on the seventh day. As they wandered through the wilderness, God provided them with what they needed for how long? that day for two days on the sixth day there were some when that process first began who did not trust the giver to be good remember they went out and they gathered as much as they could hold in store and what happened by the end of that day into the next morning it had already gone bad and then there were some who did not gather a double amount on the sixth day and went out on the day looking for manna and guess what there was no manna to be found what was god trying to teach them i'm your provider 
I'm going to give you what you need. Trust me to give you what you need. Depend completely on me. And that is a lesson that God tries to teach you and me in our lives that we struggle to learn. We need to be completely dependent on him. And then keep this truth close. Trust the, the goodness of the giver and what he gives and does not give. If you think there's a need that you truly have and you've petitioned the giver, God, to meet that need, and he does not, one of three things is true. You can mark it down. Number one, either what you've petitioned him for is not a need. It's not a need yet. Or he has a better plan. God teaches us to be completely dependent on him. He's the giver and we can trust his goodness in what he gives and does not give. And you might say, Pastor, I've got a need and I've been petitioning God to meet that need and he's not done it. Okay, then one of these three things is true. Either it's not a need or it's not a need yet. You think you need it right now, but God knows better. He knows when it's actually a need, and he'll be there to meet it when it really is a need, or he has a better plan. Friends, God's not going to leave you destitute of what you truly need, and if God is withholding something from you, it's not because he, he has it out for you. It's not because he's standing there in heaven just enjoying watching the mess of our lives. It's because he has a better plan. And you'll know what it is by and by. We're absolutely dependent on him. And I want to encourage you to thank God. He's the giver who provides our daily needs. Let's determine to give him thanks for those needs. Then I want you to see secondly this morning, what should we give thanks to the giver for? Our, our daily needs. But then let's give him thanks for our eternal needs. Would you join me in Mark chapter 14? Mark chapter 14. Interestingly, members of the early church detected a parallel between the feedings of the 5,000 men, the 4,000 people, and the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night he was betrayed. There was, in the minds of the early church, a connection between these three meals. Each of the three accounts contains a sequence of taking bread, giving a blessing, breaking the bread, and then giving it to those who were there. That happened at the feeding of the 5,000 men. It happened at the feeding of the 4,000 people. It happened at this Passover meal in Mark chapter 14. In the account of the meal, Jesus again blessed and gave thanks to God for his provision. However, here Jesus includes more than just the thanks for the provision of that food. 
This declaration within context also contains thanks for the spiritual provision of his body and blood, which would be broken and spilled for the sin debt owed to God by man. Jesus gave thanks, and through the command of Scripture, we are exhorted to gather together and from time to time, as off as we do it, to eat the bread and drink of the cup, giving thanks to God in remembrance of what he has done. As we break the bread and we share the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' body and his blood. Mark 14, notice this text in verse 22. The Bible says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread, notice, and what? Blessed. The same word that we find used in Mark 6, verse 41. But it goes on. And break it, and gave to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had what? Given thanks. Same word used in Mark chapter 8, verse 6. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I want you, as we think about Mark 14 in connection to thankfulness, number one, to see the gift made available. See the gift made available. When Jesus declared to the disciples, this is my body, he identified what he gave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul reminds the Corinthian church of the purpose and the memorial of the Lord's Supper, he went on and, and said of Jesus, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus gave his body. Behind that word body is more than just the idea of the physical structure. It, it's more than just the, the tabernacle in this text. There's more depth of meaning to it. This idea of, of body identifies the person, the whole being, the self. It's as if Jesus is not simply saying, I'm giving the structure, this bone and, and skin, this bone and flesh for you. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm giving my very being, my very self for you, completely and unreservedly as the sin offering to God for everyone. And then consider the blood. Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood. To the Jewish mind, the blood demonstrated or represented the very life. And that comes from the Old Testament declaration of Leviticus 17.11, where the Bible declares, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. In declaring his blood given and shed, Jesus again was not simply identifying the, the liquid life running his veins. Certainly that was true. His blood shed. 
He was identifying, he was giving his very life for the same reason that the sin offering was given to make atonement. That's what Leviticus 17 goes on to say. The life of the flesh is in the blood and it's given to you upon the altar to make an atonement. Why did they have to take that animal and not just take a dead animal and put its carcass on the altar and burn it? Why did the priest have to take that animal and slit its throat and shed its blood? Because it was a representation of that animal's life being given and laid down. It was a shadow, a picture of what Jesus would do in greater efficacy. That's why the Bible declares in Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ? The penman of Hebrews was saying those Old Testament sacrifices did the job that God wanted them to do, but what they were were ultimately a picture of what Jesus would do, who would lay down his life, who would shed his blood, giving his very life for the sins of mankind, becoming the sin offering. And his blood is so much better, so much more effectual than the blood of calves and of goats. Highlighting this gift made available to us through Jesus who gave himself. Pastor and author David Guzik penned these words, Jesus gave, which means it is voluntary. He didn't have to do what he did, but he did it out of love. It's good to emphasize what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the Father, gave the Son. But don't forget that Jesus also gave. Jesus gave himself, which means Jesus gave all he could give. It's possible to help someone and even to help them in a big way without really giving yourself. Yet Jesus gave the greatest thing he could ever give. He gave himself. He gave himself for us. Which means Jesus was given as a substitute for sinful man. We needed a substitute, someone to stand in our place as guilty sinners before God. Jesus took the guilt for us. He took the shame for us. You see, friends, today, Mark 14, this picture of the Passover meal becoming what we call the Lord's Supper it was the last Passover meal, the first of the Lord's Supper, because Jesus was declaring to us that we should give thanks to God, not just for the daily needs of food and whatever else you want to put in that place, but for the provision of our eternal need. He showed us the gift that was made available, his body, his very self, 
broken for us. His blood, his very life shed for us. Let's not just see the gift made available. Let's see the grace made apparent. We've already addressed the reality that the feedings of the 5,000 men and 4,000 people are connected with this meal linguistically. Jesus used the same word, Mark 14, for blessed from Mark chapter 6. Gave thanks from Mark chapter 8. And I love this. Because the feeding of the 5,000 men was a Jewish audience. The feeding of the 4,000 people was a Gentile audience. And we saw in that Jesus making himself available to all. And we see it again here. And using both words, the connection of both groups of people, again, we see here, Jesus is again identifying the reality, the Bible truth, that salvation is for all. Aren't you thankful for that today? If God's plan had been to make salvation available only to a select group, be it Jew, or be it of a certain nationality, or of a certain social status, or of a certain type, you can fill it in however you want. If God's plan for salvation had been to make it available only for a select group, how unfortunate the rest of us would be. But over and over, the Bible declares and depicts and shows through picture and through uh, symbol that God's plan was to make salvation available for all. And then I want you to notice verse 23. It's easy to miss this. Look at verse 23 again. It said, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Read the rest of the verse. And they all drank of it. They all. It's kind of interesting because this word all runs throughout Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, verse 31, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said what? They all. The same all who drank of cup which represented jesus blood shed for him for them for all the same all then declared to jesus will not forsake you will not betray you but the same all is also found in verse 27 of chapter 14 where jesus said all ye shall be offended of me this night the same all who drank the cup were the same all who said, will not forsake you, were the same all who Jesus said, no, you're all going to forsake me this night. And by the way, it's the same all who did forsake him and flee from him. Look at chapter 14, verse 50. And they all forsook him and fled. Listen to me very carefully because you you don't need to miss this truth. The same all who drank of the cup, which was the representation of his blood, shed for them. All of them said, we'll not forsake you. Jesus said, no, you're all going to forsake me. And they all forsook him and fled from him. You say, pastor, what's the point of all that? What's that all lead to? God's grace. 
God's grace. Because here were a group of men sitting in front of Jesus Christ that he knew they would all forsake him. They all pledged their allegiance, but they couldn't live up to it. And when the time came, the time that Jesus had told them would come, I'm going to be uh, rejected, and I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the leaders, and they're going to come, and they're going to take me, and they're going to crucify me. But three days later, I'll rise again. When that all started to come to pass, they didn't hang on. They didn't stay true to him, knowing that Jesus told us this would happen. They all, in fear, turned and ran. And yet in that moment, knowing that all of that would take place, Jesus said, here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood shed for you. And he offered it to them all, knowing what they would do. What is that? That's grace. Can I remind you today, friend, that God's grace brought salvation and made it available to all men? Can I remind you, as you think about this table right here, where from time to time we bring out the elements, the unleavened bread and the grape juice, and we talk about the reality that that bread is the representation of Jesus' body broken for you. And we take that, that small cup of juice and we remind ourselves that this is the representation of Jesus' blood shed for us. That when we approach that table as we say it, we approach that table on the same basis that Jesus offered the disciples that bread and, and that juice, that wine on that night. You see, when you and I approach this table, it's not a table of merit. It's a table of grace. The Holy Spirit doesn't stand before the table like a bouncer at a club and say to you and to you and to you, you don't deserve to partake of this. The Holy Spirit doesn't stand as, as that bouncer at a club, not just at the table, but at the door of your heart when, when you recognize your sinfulness and your need of a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior that you need, who laid down his life for you, who gave Him very his very self for you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't stand there and say, wait a minute, no. I know what you've done. And by the way, he doesn't look at you and say, I know what you're going to do. Jesus, knowing what these men would do, offered them the bread, offered them the cup, and said, this is my body, this is my blood. I not only know what you have done, I know what you're going to do, and I'm still going to offer it to you. And I'm thankful today that the Holy Spirit of God, that God the Father, that Jesus Christ the Son didn't say to me when I came in recognition of my sinfulness and my need of a Savior and say, no, no, I know what you've done. You don't earn, you've not earned this. 
No, no, I, I know not only what you've done, but I know what you're going to do, and you don't deserve this. I'm glad today that when I approach the table in memorial of what Jesus has done, giving his body broken and his blood shed, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, wait a minute, no, you don't deserve this. No, I approach the table the same way I came to Christ, all because of God's amazing grace. He knows the lust that you still give into. He knows the filth that still fills your heart. He knows the ways that you still demonstrate through word and deed your brokenness, your hard heartedness, your stubbornness. Knowing all that you've done. Yes, even knowing that all that you would do. Jesus still said, here's my body, broken. Here's my blood, shed. And so friends, this season as we declare thanks to God for the provision Let's be reminded of the provision he made available to us through his son. The gift he made available, the grace he made apparent. I'm thankful that salvation is not a merit-based reward. But it is a gift of grace. And I'm thankful that even as a child of God... His love and His goodness and His grace are not rewards that I've earned or that I earn day by day as I merit them, but I'm thankful that they are gifts of His grace. That should draw us all to give thanks to God. Today, Recognize provision as the gift and blessing of God. Every good thing that you have is from Him. And you and I should be faithfully declaring our thankfulness to Him for it. Everything you need, everything you already have are the gifts and the blessings of God. And you can trust the giver in what He gives and in what he does not give. Give him thanks. God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for what you give me. Thank you for what you don't give me. I see the goodness of you in it all. The provision of your eternal needs has, have also been given by God. He made the gift of salvation available through his Son, by which his amazing grace became apparent. Give him thanks for that. Child of God, determine, commit to sincerely give God thanks for the provision of your daily and your eternal needs. And then perhaps today, you're not a child of God. You can come to Jesus who gave all of himself, his very life for you, 
I've heard some say before, well, I, I need to clean up my act a little bit before I, I come. I need to be good enough to come for that. No, you've missed the whole point. His salvation is not merit-based reward. It's a free gift of his grace. Come and receive it. He's waiting with open arms. He's not there to, to bounce you away. Child of God, maybe, maybe you've gotten wrapped up in something that, that he doesn't want. You know that he's waiting to receive you the same way if you come back asking for his forgiveness. Open arms to receive you with his grace. Let's give him thanks because he is a good, good God. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Perhaps as we wait before the Lord reflecting on how God has spoken to our hearts today, God is speaking to you now, inviting you to come. Maybe you need to come and receive his salvation. You need to come and just give him thanks. If God is speaking to your heart as he leads you,